Ariel Sussman is a social worker with special interest in trauma containment and debriefing, as well as grief counselling. The past three weeks, she has volunteered her services to the Boxburg community following the horrific gas, gas explosion. I'm delighted to have her as my guest to find out more about this woman who has become something of a legend in Boxburg, both among the community and those who are helping out. Ariel, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Sharice. Ariel, how did you get involved? So, Sharice, I saw Glynn's post for the Angel Network requesting donations, financial um, clothes, anything, resources that people could come forward as part of the community to assist the families and community members that have been impacted and affected in Boxburg. And I spent a bit of time thinking, how can I assist? How can I contribute financially at the moment? It wasn't an option. And then it dawned on me. I'm like, I'm a social worker. And my, my, my passion and I don't want to say my field of expertise really does lie in trauma and grief counseling. And I thought, let me message Glenn. And if I can assist and Trauma counseling and grief counseling is something that she feels would benefit the Boxburg community. Then I was very open to going, and that's really how I, I got involved. Ariel, in addition to being a trauma counsellor, you are also a social worker at King David Victory Park Primary School. Yes. So you have a lot on your plate, and you also have your own practice. How did you find the time? So I think that for causes, for me, we, we find the time and we make the time. And I think I was a little bit blessed in terms of that school hadn't started yet. So it sort of landed in my lap at the end of school holidays. Um, so I really was just very blessed to have the time to be able to, to go through on numerous occasions and, and meet different families and individuals. Ariel, the people who worked on uh, in Boxburg, and last week I chatted to Clive Mashishi and Yehuda Lazarus and Linda Mbata, who have all been there on the ground working, and they talk about the absolute chaos of the situation. Um, and the needs of the people were more than just food. It was funerals, it was logistics, it was all kind of things. But you were able to provide the one thing that so many can't, and that is that mental health. Tell me what you found when you went to Boxburg. So, Sharice, I think, well, I wish I had the words to adequately describe to you and the listeners, and I think there really aren't the words. I think pain, suffering, fear, helplessness, tragedy, I think it's a few of the words that sort of don't even touch the tip of the iceberg in terms of what there was to what we saw, what we witnessed, I think, as different individuals who I think really have been incredibly blessed to come in and in a very, very small way try and be impactful on people's lives who just so utterly devastated. So when I was there last week, Thursday, spatially, I could understand how such a blast could devastate so many people from Ramaphosa Park to town to those living on either side of the bridge to the hospital. Um, to what extent is it this a community in grief and how do you help in terms of community first? So I think for me, I think as individuals, we are part of a family. As a family, we become part of a community. So I always kind of say that macro, meso, and then macro sort of structure. And I think that 
this wasn't just an individual. It wasn't just a family. And I think that's how it really became such a communal tragedy that so many have been impacted and affected by it. Again, while I was there, I could see um, th- that not individuals, as you said, were affected, but it was grandmother and grandson. It was all these really per- stories of um, a neighbor running in to help the family and getting burnt. Uh, it really did touch on the broader community in terms of everyone in Boxburg in a certain area was affected. Definitely, without doubt. And as you say, you know, whether it was my employee who landed up passing away and her grandchild was visiting my home at the time who also unfortunately landed up passing away to to a gentleman hearing the initial explosion, running out to see what had happened, which I think most of us would do as inquisitive human beings, and then realizing we have a massive problem here and begging people to move away. And by saying, you know, move back, move back, move away, themselves, as you say, landed up being burnt, landed up losing tenants, which, you know, you discussed on your show last week. Um, and I, th- I think really coming together to say it doesn't matter if it was my child or my friend, it was just trying to move people back from from where the truck was and where the bridge was to just say, please move, move. And then obviously the, the second explosion happening that unfortunately so many people did lose their lives through. You know, th- what also strikes me is the randomness of this. You know, you just... Happened. It's not like, you, you know, there's going to be a warning, uh, you know, whether rain is coming and we're going to flood or, you know, anything you could prepare for. It was just so random. And the timing of it on the 24th of December, just before Christmas, when families were together, how do you explain, how do you help someone come to terms with what happened when it is so random? And I think I wish I could. And, you know, I always say to my private clients, to to the people I've had the privilege and honor with meeting in Boxburg, is that if there was a recipe, I would give them the recipe as to the why. And, and why, as you say, Christmas Eve, why as we were gathering to celebrate or to pray or to, or to find meaning and reflection in our year, why? I don't know. And and I think that it's a lot of what we spent in, in the family counseling sessions I did in the individual counseling, the group counseling around, sometimes we never do know a why. And I found that the families who believe in God and have a very, very strong faith could have sort of surrender and say, I need to believe that God has a bigger plan. And for others who don't, much more difficult to to understand. But I think it really is a question that none of us will ever know the why. Who counsels a trauma counsellor? And do you need that counselling? So a big believer. We are very blessed, I think, definitely in in the school system. We have monthly debriefings. I personally attend my own monthly, every second month, just depending on on cases I've encountered and traumas I've had to deal with. Um, but very privileged. And I think I always say that counselling, I think as a community, we're very privileged. If we need at school, there's a school counsellor. If we need privately, our parents are always able to link us up to whether it's the key, whether it's to private therapists. And I often think for more disadvantaged 
communities. Counseling isn't a luxury that they know or have. Well, let's bring that back to Boxburg because um, the mental health issue was something that I think I think all South Africans have, um, you know, high stress levels, and um, perhaps where we were in Boxburg, the, the, the idea of counselling isn't as prevalent as it may be, for example, you know, at a King David school, yes, um, where you have you know a choice of lots of different counsellors for any kind of issue. Um, to what extent were people resistant to you and to what extent were people curious about what you had to say and what was the response to you? I think an incredible response and a response actually, Sharice, where I thought there would be far more resistance. Who is a stranger? A stranger who's not even meeting me in a formal setting in their office or a hospital room. A stranger coming into my home and there was nothing, Sharice, but absolute gratitude. Gratitude and thank you. Thank you that somewhere, not now, not in a month, not six months, not even a year, but we know that we will see some form of light at the end of the tunnel. That, you know, the analogy I always use, Sharice, when I see clients, I'm giving away a little bit of my therapy secrets, is that of a roller coaster and the belief that they all got thrown onto a roller coaster but that every single roller coaster ride ends. And I believe that in every grief, in any trauma, in any such stressful situation we face as individuals, as families, as a community, it's knowing that every roller coaster ride ends. We never get off looking the same, feeling the same, being the same, but we get off the ride, Sharice. And I think that was sort of the thank you that they had, that Ariel, so you mean that this ride will end. Yeah, it's, it's kind of that hope. It's a hope and also and I imagine that somebody is showing an interest in care in that situation. And that for them was huge. Yes. That, wow, we have strangers coming in, whether it's fingertips of Africa, to provide amazing meals at our funerals. Um, Clive and Pastor Masala with, with gentlemen and got the most incredible team of guys who are standing there window by window fixing. And mm. these are strangers, as you say. Mm. Not one of us knew... Anybody in Boxburg, you know, I kept saying to Clive and Pastor Masala, are you sure you don't know a somebody in Boxburg? Like you're just part of the fabric. And I saw that now I was there this past week seeing, unfortunately, the 17 family members I saw who'd lost three family members. I left feeling and being a part of their family. I can walk, as you say, in the streets of Boxburg down and it's hello, Ariel, and it's hello, I don't know, let's give them the pseudonym of Peter. Yeah. How are you? It's just gratitude. And I often think it's caused me to internalize and to say, Ariel, we've got to be so grateful that the resources we need are a phone call away for us. Ariel, in terms of follow-up, what happens to these families next? Because I'm sure all of them are still not even at the beginning oh, of processing. Yeah, not even. No. And, you know, Clive and I... And Pastor Masala made a commitment that they all have Clive's number. As I said, he's been our, our spokesman, our, our angel on the ground. And they know. And I will see a family, another family in a week or two. There was a family that we, we met when you were there whose funeral for the two family members will be tomorrow. And a promise was made that when you're ready, I will make myself available. And Clive, as I say, is the the contact person, and we will continue. We'll continue whether it's a week, a month, six months, a year, year and a half, two years, however long they need to just feel like we are there to assist and help. 
And I think that's kind of from the board's perspective, what's been so reassuring about having Clive on the ground is that we we partner with the Angel Network in terms of um, you know our beneficiaries. And having Clive on the ground, be able to assess what the needs are. You don't want to be in a situation where people, and as you said, everybody wanted to do something, you know. Absolutely. But this wasn't a time of, you know, baked beans and blankets. This wasn't what the community needed, not this time. And he was able to assess. Absolutely. And I said to Clive Anglin, one of my biggest learnings is that we're so incredibly generous as a community, but we often come in what I believe is with my need. And sometimes I think we've got to put a bit of a pause on, go into the community like Clive did, Pastor Masala, his three angel workers, and say, this is what we need. We need non-perishables, for example. We need toiletries. And then be able to come back to our incredibly generous community and say, this is what we need. And yesterday, Clive, Pastor Masala, were at my home and we filled. We filled an entire quantum bucky. We filled Clive's car with blankets and toiletries and toys for the children because, as, as you said, it was Christmas Eve. There was no Christmas to be had. There was no opening of gifts if there were gifts. And they now will receive in the next few weeks from Noah Noich, who also did the most incredible connection, collection, the most wonderful things that they actually need, Cherie. Mm, so yeah. that's definitely for me. If people had to say to me, what's one of your biggest takeaway is that needs assessment. Let's stop and ask. Which kind of takes us to the end of the interview. But just to wrap up is just to say that you identified a need. You identified a skill that you had. You put up your hand and you said, I can do this. I am going to offer my services. And I just want to say you have become really a legend in Boxburg. And really, uh, we appreciate what you're doing. And just to say thank you and well done. And I think just really to the board, to Glenn, to Clive, I think for allowing me the opportunity to just be able to use a skill. And, you know, I really challenge people in the community that when we hear that there's a cause or someone needs stop, what is my skill? And let's put our skills forward. As I said to you when we started, it doesn't have to be financial. It doesn't have to be clothes if I don't have clothes to spare. But each one of us sits with a skill. And let's I challenge the community to put their skills forward and say, this is how I'm going to start with outreach and help in outreach because it's been life changing for me. So really, thank you to all of you for giving me the opportunity of being able to do what I'm so passionate about. So on that challenge, we will leave this interview. Thank you very much, Ariel Sussman, social worker with interest in trauma containment and counseling.